Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, with my co-host, Nick Pollock. Nick, what's going on? Uh, you know, it's Wednesday. We're leading up to Purdue week. Uh, so uh, so I'm kind of bored. Yeah, I mean, it, no matter what opponent Penn State was going uh, to have after beating Ohio State, it was going to feel like a bit of a letdown. Uh, but that's especially the case because it's Purdue, and Purdue is... Purdue is college football's version of a big old letdown. Uh, this episode of the podcast, we're going to talk a little bit about the Boilermakers. And I, I just want to get this out of the way right up front. I don't know all that much about Purdue. Nick doesn't know all that much about Purdue. And our That's special, what you think. Yep. No, Nick, I know you don't know that much about Purdue. And our special guest uh, also isn't. It isn't exactly up to date on all things Boilermakers, but he's here and he just wants to have a good time. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Dan Smith making his Roar Lions radio debut. What's going on, man? I don't want to consider myself a, a Roar Lions radio hater, so that's why I'm joining here is to try to dispel <laughs> that notion because I made fun of your guys' math from the uh, one time that you guys did the no, Penn no, Live no. game. It, it, was, it was all my fault. Like I, I openly admit that. I wasn't sure what the hell was happening and... And I think I also made fun of you in the uh, RLR Slack for getting the name of your own podcast wrong a couple of times. But again, not a hater. Yeah, almost almost every time for a while. Well, I was going to say the first like three or four episodes until I remembered that we weren't, you know, on. I think it took me actually calling calling him out while recording. Yeah, we weren't on V Sporto anymore, and I was very used to doing the V Sporto thing and old habits die hard, which is why I sometimes like to compare Penn state athletes to superheroes because that's something people well, listen to. I have, I have some thoughts on V Sporto since the last uh, seven months <laughs> since I've been on the podcast. And I just want to say after all of the uh, legal proceedings and everything that went through is that V Sporto is a great, great company <laughs> and they provide a tremendous service. And I'm, uh, it was a pleasure to have worked for them while we did. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, I'll hit. Uh, I'll stop recording uh, in about forty some odd minutes, and then Dan could translate all of that for us off the air. But while we're on the air and we have Dan here, uh, before we dive into Purdue, Dan is probably the person on our staff who, when they go back and rewatch the games, they watch it with more in- more intent and more focus than anyone because he's doing the snap counts posts. So, Dan, uh, just really quickly, what were your general thoughts? Uh, when you went back and rewatched the game as you were getting prepared to do snap counts. And based on snap counts, was there any one thing that was really surprising that just really stuck out for you that maybe you didn't notice when you were first watching the game? There were some, there's always some interesting things, especially with this year's team because of how young it is. And that's, that was a theme last year as well, but because of all the injuries, um, how they've done their linebacker rotations, um, and we knew coming in there that there were supposed to be restrictions on Brandon Bell and Jason Cabinda, and as we have since learned, that very much was not the case. They feel comfortable with Brandon Smith, which is a great thing, and it's very nice to have some of this depth. Manny Bowen's obviously playing at a high level because he's been able to get a lot of snaps over the first year and a half of his career, and you have the ability to go to a second unit here that they're definitely a little bit more comfortable with. I think they found a better role for Koa Farmer. Uh, he struggled quite a bit in the first couple of games when he was playing safety now, seeming to do a better job in this sort of uh, star linebacker role that they have him in there. Um, 
you know, where he can come in sort of on passing downs and help out that way. They're continuing to use him in that role. They're getting healthier cornerback as well, which has helped. Grant Haley's back. Christian Campbell's back. Jordan Smith has gotten some playing time and has looked all right when he's been in the game. He had a nice game the one time uh, when he he was forced into action. Uh, I believe that was the Minnesota game. Um, and, you know, so th- these positions, the depth is coming along. Uh, it, it was, you know, growing pains for quite a while there, but you're seeing more of these guys and they're still feeling comfortable bringing them into the game. They're trying some different things. We're talking about Koa Farmer going down to linebacker. We're talking about now Ryan Buckholtz. Sort of, he Sharif Miller is now the fourth defensive end, and Buckholz is sort of splitting time between playing defensive end as a fifth guy there, and then also on passing downs, pairing up with Kevin Givens uh, on obvious passing downs as the defensive tackle, so that they have guys who all have defensive end experience in there to create a four-man pass rush in these situations. Gives them different looks. They go with the three-man front and occasionally bring a bl- uh, bring it blitz. Uh, which they hadn't been doing a ton of blitzing like this before. They threw some new things at Ohio State, and you get to see those things when you're doing that on the defensive side of the ball. A lot of different looks, and I thought Brent Pry uh, coached a great game. On the offensive side of the ball, uh, they're they're very um, they they stick really with the starters in the offensive side of the ball. They had to change things up a little bit in this game because of the injury to DeAndre Tompkins, uh, but it was a very simple one. The original starter, Saeed Blacknall, comes in. Very little did we see of. The backups, Urban Charles and Jawan Johnson, they combined for four snaps in the whole game. The one tricky thing was the injury to Mike Kosicki, and they didn't really do anything unconventional with it. They brought Tom Pankos, his backup, into the game, the former walk-on. I think he still is a walk-on from Unionville High School in Chester County. Uh, was serviceable, didn't do anything egregious, uh, dropped a pass, but you know he was playing against a very good team. Uh, the one thing that I, you know, if I had to look for a negative, I would just say, you know, there, that was an opportunity, I think, for them to maybe bring some two back sets into play. You know, you have a backup tight end who doesn't bring a ton to the table. I thought he did okay, but it wasn't like he was, you know, going to bring a, an aspect to it like Gesicki does. Maybe the reason was because they wanted to get to halftime, see how Gesicki is. If he wasn't going to go, maybe they, you know, make some adjustments and bring those plays into the fold. Um, but you know, Miles Sanders was, you know, the only backup that they played, uh, aside from the victory formation. He only got two snaps after a couple big runs by Saquon. So they were really just going all Saquon in that game. And I think that that was sort of the game plan coming in there. That was, they were going to just lean on Barkley for that game, uh, especially when it ended up being that they had less than 60 snaps on offense and they didn't have those sustained drives that would potentially have you thinking about bringing another running back into the game. Uh, Andre Robinson only appeared for the three snaps in the victory formation, Mark Allen didn't play at all. Not sure if the, he was injured or if, there, if something else was going on. But, you know, they were very, very, you know, they've always been starter heavy, but really no rotating at all other than with uh, injuries there. Uh, no platoons at all in the offensive line, despite, you know, being with Paris Palmer in their tackle. Uh, so very straightforward in the offense, sort of in contrast to doing a lot of different looks, different players getting involved in the defensive side of the ball. But again, I thought the defensive side of the ball, that was to their benefit. And, uh, you know, they, they, they had a great game. There's no other way to put it. I thought the defense had a great game. And when you watch it a second time, uh, you know, those things really popped out. Yeah, I think that as I go through uh, the snap counts post, the thing that surprised – well, I don't want to say surprises me the most. Uh, but just the thing that really stuck out to me was that uh, James Franklin at no point seemed like he wanted to do anything along the offensive line other than Palmer Bates, Gaia McGovern, man. And we have seen him throughout the season move away 
uh, from really going with any sort of a rotation, uh, bringing Derek Dowry or Chaz Wright in at guard. Uh, really, there wasn't too much of a rotation at tackle, if I remember correctly. And then Gaia has... Uh, Gaia may have played every snap this year. Uh, of course, Dan, you can correct me if I'm wrong on that. But that was something that I really liked seeing. I like seeing this unit gel, especially because I believe three of the five dudes are going to be back next year with Palmer and Gaia moving on. Uh, McGovern may move inside. They may put maybe a Michael Mennett or someone at guard. But it seems like this offensive line has kind of found its groove. And considering how... Ohio State got into the backfield a little bit, but Penn State's offensive line wasn't, uh, and Nick, you can chime in on this, it wasn't the abject horror that we're kind of used to seeing. It was nice seeing that there was never, it It was just that group and it let them gel and it see, let them be a little bit more consistent throughout the game and it's a really good sign for the rest of this season if you know everyone is playing every snap against the front against Ohio State when the rest of the fronts the Nittany Lions are going to play this year aren't exactly on par with the Buckeyes yeah I think it's a mix of two things uh first being obviously if you can create a scenario where the same five guys are out there every snap you want to do that for the reasons you said you want them to gel you want them to know what each other are going to do inside and out on every type of play uh, but the other thing is that they don't really have the depth right now at tackle to afford having anyone go down. And at least if they just stick to the starters, they know they have one primary backup at each spot. And that's especially true at the tackle position where they have James Franklin has said that, hey, like if we need to, we're willing to put Will Fries out there but it's not something that we want to do. So at least this, especially after losing Nelson now, um, there's only so many people separating the starters and a true freshman like Fries. So keeping the starters in there as often as possible, at least you uh, can keep everything. You can, I mean, <clears throat> I feel like I'm having a hard time wording what I want to say here, but at least you can keep everything focused on them. And should they go down, at least you have one primary backup and you're not switching in and out and possibly getting two guys injured in one game. Not that it can't happen anyway. But uh, I think the injury, I think the lack of depth is playing a part in that for sure. Plus, it also helps that you know, one of the offensive linemen, Brendan Mayen, is turning into the second coming of Orlando Pace. Like that dude is just straight up mauling people, uh, and it's been really fun to watch that. It was again just a really fun game to watch in general. But let's uh, now that we got Dan's thoughts on it, let's move on. Uh, let's talk about this week, Penn State. Going to West Lafayette to play the mighty Purdue Boilermakers, Purdue three and four in the season with its wins coming against Eastern Kentucky, Nevada, and Illinois in just an, a legitimately fun football game, uh, and then the losses Cincinnati uh, lost to Maryland by forty three, uh, Iowa and Nebraska, uh, according to uh, Ben Jones of StateCollege.com. Uh, he tweeted a little bit earlier today, Penn State is prepping for the atmosphere at Purdue by not playing any music at practice, uh, which sounds kind of perfect. And it also, I, you know, we're so used to seeing, seeing and hearing Penn State being a team that gets up for games, that is amped, that is ready to go right from the... Right, I, I, don't, I mean, they've had some troubles in the first quarter, but I mean just in the demeanor that the team has, ready to go right from the beginning. But this Nick is... It has the smell of being one of those letdown games. 
Uh, we see it all the time in college football. A team goes out, gets a huge win at home against a really great opponent, and then goes on the road to play a subpar team, and then either just looks terrible uh, and gets a really unconvincing win to that kind of makes people go, that big win was a fluke, or they just end up losing the game. So heading into West Lafayette, you know, an 11 a.m. local kick, all that, are you worried about a letdown from the Nittany Lions? Um, and actually, you actually even forgot to mention that, to borrow a phrase from the Solid Verbal, this is really like a letdown look-ahead sandwich because they do have Iowa coming for a night game the week yeah. after. So, um, but no, I'm not. I I think that Penn State could very easily start this game slowly. I expect them to start this game slowly. But I'm not worried about a full-on letdown, per se. If this game was against Indiana or if this week was against Michigan State or well, maybe. Or if this game was against Iowa, then I would be significantly more worried. But Purdue is really, really bad at football. And even if Penn State starts slowly, Purdue is not good enough to take advantage of that. I could very, I could see a scenario where Purdue scores first, but I don't see any real way that Purdue's defense is able to hold down Penn State for four full quarters. And really, I don't see a way that Penn State's defense defense isn't able to hold Purdue down for four quarters, especially if they play the way they played on Saturday night with uh, Bell and Kabinda back. So while I think there's certainly potential for a slow start, and I'm expecting a slow start, that slow start could still be points, and it could still be an early lead. Um, so I, it, there's potential for it, but I don't think that it will lead to anything resembling a loss. Yeah. Uh, Dan, same question to you. Are you worried at all about a letdown? Um, uh, you know, it's Purdue. And Purdue University in West Lafayette, Indiana, United States, is a public research university and is the main <laughs> campus of the Purdue University <laughs> system. It was founded in 1869 after a donation of land and money from Lafayette businessman John Purdue to establish a college of science, technology, and agriculture in his name. The first classes were held on September 16, 1874, with six instructors and 39 students. So, you know, you have to factor that in when you're talking about Purdue. And, you know, um, so I think that, you know, and then you talk about Penn State. Um, I think they need to show up and uh, they'll take care of business. Yeah. Uh, did you know that the main campus in West Lafayette? offers more than 200 majors for undergraduates and over 70 master's and doctoral programs and professional degrees in pharmacy and veterinary medicine, Dan? I did not, thank you. Ah, interesting. Yes. That was the, that was the exact point that I got cut off in my, my thorough research into the Purdue uh, for this <laughs> podcast. Well, if you kept reading, you would have learned that Purdue has 18 intercollegiate sports teams and more than 900 student organizations, so... And their current president is Mitchell E. Daniels Jr. So this is an educational podcast. Uh, wait a minute. Why do I know that? Oh, wait a minute. Oh, Mitch Daniels was was the governor of Indiana before Mike Pence. So that sucks. Uh, but yeah, I uh, think some. I think something that we're failing to mention is that about one third of the single undergraduate students on the campus are housed in university residences. Oh. That's nice. And another That's an thing, important factor. No, they, I, that's yes. an underrated point to make about this. I th I'm glad that Nick brought that up. Yeah. And um, actually, the rest, the rest of them tend to live in fraternities, sororities, cooperatives, or even private off-campus housing. Ah, uh, the most important thing that none of us have mentioned is that at 3 and 4, they have a better record than 2 and 5 Notre Dame. Uh, but 
yeah, let's uh, kind of dive in uh, to breaking down Purdue to the best of our abilities. But before we do that, Dan has a story about a trip that he took to West Lafayette, and we're very upset that he has to tell it here and not with our original plan for a special guest. Dan would have been on the podcast uh, for this special guest too, but the plan was to have uh, a certain Under Armour Loose Fit legend come on here. He couldn't. Uh, so not, hold on, not an Under Armour Loose Fit legend. The Under Armour Loose Fit legend himself. Yes, apo- <laughs> apologies for that if you if you listen to this, uh, Mr. Special Guest. But yeah, uh, Dan has a story on a trip he took to West Lafayette, so Dan, the floor is yours. In the fall of 2012, this is my senior year at Penn State, and I was going out to West Lafayette to broadcast the Penn State-Purdue football game, which was in early November that it year. sounds like a 30 for 30, and I love it. Keep going. Um, this was the second time I'd done it. The year before, I'd gone out to Indiana to do that game, which was in early October that year. And usually what the procedure was for the radio station that I worked for was that we would go out with the rest of the media on the same flight from State College. Um, but we had a funding cut due to a certain uh, scandal and things that may have transpired. So we were driving out to West Lafayette, which from State College is about 10 hours. Um, and they apparently Purdue forgot to even set us up a booth. So we were dealing with the politics of trying to get a, a radio booth set up for that game on Friday afternoon. So we left State College late and did not have time to get straight to West Lafayette Friday night. So, you know, the idea was this was the only trip I was going to take where I was 21. I could go out in a different college town. So we lost the Friday night. We were instead in a, in a hotel in northeastern uh, Indiana near the Michigan border in a town whose name I cannot remember because I'm not sure it was an incorporated town. So um, we, got, we get there and we make really good time on the Saturday morning, such good time that we got there before they opened the stadium so we could not get in and we were standing in the rain in the parking lot. Um, so it was a 3.30 kick, uh, we broadcasted the game, I think Penn State won like 34 to 3, so it was a bit of a snoozer, uh, and then, uh, we, our chaperone for the trip was, uh, a person who works for Penn State who some people may be familiar with as the public address voice of the men's basketball team, and I want to say the women's volleyball team as well, Jeff Brown. I think he's the women's volleyball PA announcer as well. Um, and he had to, he also at the time was the voice over uh, uh, artist for the um, Penn State football story. So he had to record that after the game. So we had to, we had to sit in the press box at Purdue, which is a nice press box, by the way, uh, much nicer than Penn State's CC uh, Sandy Barber. Um, <laughs> So we just had to sit there and kill time. It was myself and another uh, senior at Penn State, and um, we were just we we were just trying. We had nothing to do. You know, they they didn't even have food there or anything. We you know we were both really hungry, and we were hoping to get to dinner so that then we could you know go to dinner and then go out in West Lafayette and see what the whole scene was like. Instead, we spent like four hours after the game just sitting in the press box. Um, we were watching the end. I think Pitt was playing Notre Dame that night. Um, and so we were just sitting there. We had the only, we were, for some reason, we were in the only booth in there that had a TV. So, um, so like we were, it was just uh, like two of us. And then Jack Ham came in and was watching with us, with us too. Cause he just wanted to see how it was going. At one point we did go down in the field after the stadium had emptied out. 
Um, and uh, I, I'm just remembering this now. The uh, There were Penn State fans that had traveled out there that were sort of in a line from this gate that emptied out into the side street next to the stadium that where the team bus for Penn State was waiting. So they were all in a line around basically the path that was going to take them from the locker room over to the bus. And players, when they do this, they all come out and they're in suits. And, you know, so they're, and we were in suits. So we're standing there and we see the Penn State players start walking out and they all go through this, this group of people and they're all like high five and everybody and everybody's going like, great game, awesome game. So I look over to the, to the guy I'm with and I'm like, you want to do this? And he's like, yeah, we should do this. So <laughs> because we were dressed like players and not, we're not as big as <laughs> players, but we look like we might be special teams players or something. We would just walk through the line like we were getting on the bus. And like just started high five at all these Penn State fans, and they're all like going like "Great game, man! Way to go!" and all this stuff. So we got to have that little experience, which was nice. That was the that was about the only uh, positive of that thing. So we finally left at like eleven, but at this point we're like exhausted and hungry. So I found rock bottom in my life, and this is what rock bottom in your life looks like: is you're in West Lafayette, Indiana, at uh, the door of an Olive Garden at eleven forty-five trying to get the employees who are trying to lock up to make one last meal for you. So we were, we were making these poor Purdue students who were working at this Olive Garden stay to cook us terrible pasta at 11.45 on a Saturday night. And, they, yeah, that was pretty much rock bottom in my life, yeah, I think. I, I was going to say so I never I never got to go out in West Lafayette. I don't, I'm sure it's not like, you know – uh, Miami of Ohio or anything like that, but um, or no, is it one, Ohio one of my University? girlfriends? One of my girlfriend's uh, close family friends went to Purdue, and she told me there are four bars. Four. That's enough for me. I only yeah. need one. Dan needs, yeah. I just need one. So, um, so yeah. No, instead I went to Olive Garden and then I had, and then went to sleep and then drove ten hours the next day. So, um. <laughs> That wasn't as exciting as when I went to Indiana the year before and, uh, you know, drank with the Penn State beat writers. So, but that's a story for another time. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll have you and maybe our friends over at Crimson Quarry, which shout out to them, come on to a podcast and maybe you can tell that story then. I don't know. No, no but I think you should have some of the, the, the scholars and gentlemen who, were on, who I drank with that night in, uh, in Bloomington on, like, uh, like Ron Musselman. <laughs> oh man, you're trying to get me in trouble. Uh, so yeah, now this is that... not the first time I've ever brought up Ron Musselman on a podcast either. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, now that that's out of the way, uh, let's try and talk about Purdue football. Uh, Purdue, like we said, three and four in the season, fired their head coach Daryl Hazel. Uh, their two starting quarterbacks from the last couple of years are both still in college, uh, but not at Purdue. One is at Florida. The other is at LSU. So they're starting a, a strapping young man by the name of David Blau. Uh, did I get that one right, Nick? Uh, as, far, as far as I could tell, Hooray! based on my, based on my Twitter research. Nice. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, S&P Plus, Purdue is 97th in offensive S&P Plus, 104th in defensive S&P Plus. They're rushing. Uh, offensive S&P Plus is 112. Defense is 113. Passing S&P Plus, 
uh, offense 97, defense 82. Uh, their special teams S and P plus is 108th. Nick, there is just nothing that this team seems to be really good at. Uh, well, other than uh, one, other uh, than uh, one uh, thing uh, that you uh, found uh, that I'm very excited for you to bring up. They are very good on offense in the fourth quarter when they're going against the other team's second and third stringers. <laughs> they are also shockingly good on third down. They are ninth in the country in S&P Plus on third down. I don't know how, but they are. Yeah, uh, well, uh, one of these days we'll have to ask Bill C. about that. But in all seriousness... They're very good when they're not throwing interceptions. Yes. Uh, in all seriousness, it does look like their offensive line may not be terrible. Uh, their power success rate on offense is 27th in the nation. Uh, their adjusted sack rate on... Uh, on offense is 13th in the nation, so it looks like there are some things, uh, normally I mean, all when it comes to uh, making sure their quarterback stays upright, and uh, David Blau is sacked, he's been sacked 11 times this year, uh, 308 passing attempts, so it looks like that may be kind of what Purdue is good at they also seem like they're pretty good uh passing iso ppp is 17th in the country but like i i'm trying to do the whole talk myself into this kind of being a letdown game thing and when i just look through i can't really see that with purdue looks like they have one pretty pretty good defensive end at least when it comes to getting into backfields uh, named Evan Panfill, who is has nine and a half tackles for loss and four sacks on the year, but uh, no one else on this team has more than two and a half sacks or four tackles for loss, which it's uh, seven games into the season, so that's probably not great. Um, yeah, Dan, like... To be fair, though, Penn State only has two guys that have over two and a half sacks. Yeah, but the difference is they're, they at least have... I, 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 I know, I'm yeah. just I'm looking at Purdue. They have one, two, three, four, five. It looks like eight guys with one or more sacks, which when you consider that they probably play something like 30 defensive players this season in some capacity or another isn't all that great. Uh, But yeah, Dan, like, is there anything that you can say about Purdue in the research that you have done outside of their Wikipedia page? Not really much. I mean, it, they're they're pretty much what you'd expect. You know, they're it's they're they're a team that had to fire their coach. They're, you know, there's not a ton of talent. You know, the talent they've had, you know, has transferred when they've had the opportunity, like you alluded to before. Uh, and they're in a transitional period right now. It's just you know very down time right now, and that's why you go. This is the scenario when you talk about it from the outside that you would look at for a trap game, but. They're, I would say Purdue and one other team in the Big Ten, Rutgers, are sort of in the category where they're so bad that they're not really even trap game when a trap game when you're as good a team as Penn State. And that's not to say Penn State's great, but you know Rutgers almost stole one against Minnesota. I'd say Penn State's a step above Minnesota, and sort of in that period where a Rutgers or a Purdue just is not good enough to even on your worst day, you know, steal one away from you. Yeah. So unless they have they have like a Michigan like onslaught of injuries again, I don't see any way for for Purdue to to take this one. Yeah, uh, 
I mean, the big question surrounding Purdue right now, uh, and Nick, I'm about to have you bring up people who could potentially be the next head coach of Purdue, so be mentally prepared for that. But the uh-huh. big question is who's going to be the next guy to run this program and try and have it go from just a complete abject tire fire to really even what Joe Tiller was able to do there. I mean, he wasn't, I mean, he was a pretty good head coach. He was able to win some football games there, left Purdue with an 87 and 62 record. Uh, they brought in Danny Hope, which uh, I mean, Danny Hope wasn't exactly a world beater, but five and seven, four and eight, seven and six, six and six. I did don't know any Purdue fans, but I'm going to guess if you go up to them and say, hey, would you be happy with a 7-6 and six year? They'd be elated with something like that. So, Nick, who do you think is a potential guy who can uh, maybe take Purdue and just do something? I have a little bit of success there, even if they view it as a stepping stone job to a bigger thing. Well... That's kind of a different question than who I think is going to be their next head coach. I, um, if I'm thinking of somebody who could actually do something at Purdue, even if they're leaving, I think it would be someone that no one is talking about. It'd be somebody, an assistant somewhere, maybe from the FCS level, whatever, but someone who just does things in a completely different way. Like you, if if you're going to have success at Purdue right now, you need to. Just you need to come in and you need to do something that no one else in the Big Ten is doing, whether that's being like like a Mike like a Mike Leach style offense and just throwing the ball seventy times a game, whether that's I don't know maybe getting like a triple option kind of guy I don't know, but it has to be something different and you have to offer something that other Big Ten teams don't offer uh, that would help you pull in a recruit here and there, so. I don't think if it's if it's somebody who's going to have success at Purdue, then I think it's somebody we probably don't know right now. Yeah, as long as uh, they don't do anything to my sweet sweet Lane Kiffin, because he deserves so much better than this. Uh, so yeah, let's stop talking about Purdue and let's talk. So about- really, there's there's no chance that any of PJ Fleck, Jeff Brom, Lane Kiffin, or Les Miles go to Purdue. There's no chance. I, I mean, I'll put Les Miles in like a, the category a half step above no chance. But yeah, oh, like those are all... No, but I'm, I'm saying the, just because he's unemployed and he's going to be looking for work. But like, no, there's none... In all likelihood, none of those guys are going to go there. And it would be... None of those guys are in a position... None of those guys are going to be in a position where they need to settle for something. Exactly. And that's, the, that's what Purdue, unfortunately... You know, nobody wants to settle for Purdue. It's got to be a job where it's a step up for somebody, and it's got to be like Nick said. It's got to be a you know a, a relatively no name coordinator, and from Purdue's perspective, somebody who does something different. You know, yeah. it can't be just a guy. Yeah. Plus Purdue. I mean, in all honesty, for PJ Fleck, that's a step down. For Lane Kiffin, that's a step down. For what Les Miles is probably going to be able to get once we get into the coaching carousel, it's a step down. And for Jeff Brom, that's a bit of a step down. So. Yeah, I don't know where they're gonna go, but I'm. But if Purdue fans, God bless, and want to set the bar really high, I think they're probably just setting themselves up for failure. Speaking of setting yourself I mean, up for failure, Dan, no, Nick, no, Dan, I have two more things I want to say about Purdue. Oh my God, I hate you so much right now. I had a good transition, but yeah, whatever. Go ahead. I would say one. I 
it would be totally expected, even though Ohio and Ohio State's assistant just, like, literally just finished failing. Oh, no. But I could def not Greg Shiano, I could definitely oh see Luke Fickle. I could definitely see Luke Fickle. Yeah, okay. Going for that job. And, um, <clears throat> what was I going to say? The, um, oh, crap, I forgot I was going to say. All right, never mind. I, I have mind. one thing. I have one final thought. Oh, wait, I have yeah, yeah, go ahead. Purdue offers both undergraduate and graduate programs in over 211 <laughs> major areas of study. It is well known for its competitive engineering curricula, so that's something to consider, too. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, students at Purdue participate in more than 900 student organizations that cover a variety of interests. Uh, I mean, some of the most notable clubs were founded by students, uh, including the Purdue Reamer Club. So I think it's the perfect place for Bo Pelini to make his re-entrance to the Big Ten. Ooh, very and cute. apparently, this is actually, I, I know that they have the whole space thing at Purdue. Apparently, Purdue's nickname, which I've never heard, is Cradle of Astronauts. <laughs> uh, and of course, what... Is it a nickname if nobody's ever heard of it? Does that count? Can you just give a nickname like that? And what the highlight of the on. entomology department's bug bowl is the sport of cricket spitting, invented in 1997. And of course, their mascot is Purdue Pete. We're gonna have some Purdue Pete content on the site. Uh, don't worry, like that's it, it. We would be remiss to not discuss our favorite mascot. Uh, podcast is probably the worst medium for Purdue Pete content. Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, there's yeah. there's a lot of viewers at home, so. Absolutely. Uh, but, yeah, so let's just uh, let's talk about Penn State now. Let's talk about this game from the Penn State perspective. And, Dan, we'll start with you. How does Penn State lose this game? They don't show up. And I mean physically. They don't <laughs> arrive. They, they Like, they, there's some issue with the plane or something, or there's a protest because – uh, you know, or cafeteria workers went on strike, like in Harvard or something like that. You know, that would be how they lose. Or you know, they they get seventeen more injuries at linebacker, and uh, you know they're playing. Um, you know, they have to go way down in the depth chart and play. You know, walk-ons or Jake Cooper or somebody. Yeah, an injured Jake Cooper. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Nick. What they are, have uh... they have to put an injured Jake Cooper into the game. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, is he? Oh, is he injured? Oh, I didn't even yeah, know that. Yeah, I think, uh. he, I think he's banged up. Like, I think that's the reason why he's uh he hasn't gotten on the field. No, lately. he's he's definitely hurt. Yeah. He wasn't he wasn't even dressed last game. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, uh, Nick, what's trying to view? Like, is that I? Well, I don't want to say. Uh, is that all? Like, is there a realistic way that Penn State loses this game? That involves them taking the football field. Um, I mean, it's possible. I mean, this Purdue team beat Nebraska last year, so anything could happen. But I, I don't know what that something would be. Uh, aside from everybody getting hurt, I. So no, not really. Yeah, I mean, since firing, uh, Hazel, Hazel, yeah. That was the other one. That was a fun couple of minutes before we started podcasting. We tried to figure out how to say Daryl Hazel's last name and David Blau's last name. Uh, so, However, yeah. it should be noted that the only person who has consistently said Hazel is Bill. Yeah, it is. Well, no, because it's one of those things where it's in my head that it could possibly be a thing that happens. So, yeah, it sucks. It very much sucks. But, yeah, ever since firing him, uh, 
Purdue went out, they hung 35 on Iowa. Of course, they gave up 49 to Iowa. And they were close-ish against Nebraska. I mean, a 13-point loss to Nebraska for a really bad Purdue team is not horrible. So, I don't know. Like, it, it is crazy to imagine a scenario in which Purdue wins this game. Um, we'll skip how does Penn State win this game because... I mean, for Dan, it's Penn State shows up, and Nick, it's um, Nick and me. Like, there's not like something completely absurd that happens that we can't even totally comprehend right now. Uh, so let's just go into predictions, uh, some final scores, uh, and uh, we'll we'll add on who we think is the player who has the best game, and you can define best game however you want. And Nick, we'll start with you. Um, best game. Okay, well, uh, for my score, I think it Penn State 41, Purdue 17, somewhere in that area. Um, hmm. I'll say, I mean, best game, best game. I think this, I think this is a, I think this is a game where we'll see McSorley probably run a lot. Because I think we'll see everybody run a lot, because there's not really much of a need to pass the ball. Um, I think Barkley goes for like 160, and a touchdown. Um, but, I mean, it won't statistically be the best game, but I think Miles Sanders gets a lot of carries in this game, and I think he goes over 100 and scores. Wow. So, in terms of, I mean, considering who it is, I'll say Miles Sanders has the best game. Sure. Uh, I'm actually looking right now as Purdue uh, is 126th in the nation in defensive rushing ISO PPP. And there are 128 teams in college football. So, I like Penn State's... I like what Nick said there about a Miles Sanders type going out and having a really big game on the ground. Uh, Dan, the same questions to you. I think Sanders is a good call because they've shown interest in potentially moving him up to the number two running back spot uh, as recently as this uh, Ohio State game. So, that could be could be one there. Um you know, I think it'll end up being somebody who, you know, has an impact to really help them pull away. And I do think it'll be on the offensive side of the ball. So I am going to say that it is uh, Mike Kosicki. And I think he has a big game. I think it, 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 it's a tough matchup for him against a team that's sort of out outmatched uh, on the defensive side as the Purdue defense is. Um, they're not they're not really playmakers on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and I think that that's going to give McSorley um, you know, some confidence that he can he can make plays down the field up the middle, and uh, you know, I think Kasicki's going to be a big part of that. Yeah, I kind of get the sense that I, my pick for this is I think they're going to try and really let Trace McSorley have a big game, like just through the air. I mean, we've seen that he can get the job done with his legs. Uh, he hasn't had to really in the last couple of weeks do too terribly much through the air. Uh, he had a he had a good game throwing the ball uh, against Maryland. If uh, memory serves, I've uh, nothing matters in my mind right now because Penn State beat uh, Ohio State. But yeah, uh, ten for nineteen, one hundred and fifty-two yards, fifty-three uh, completion rate. So not too stellar. Ohio State, like he had a couple of big chunk plays, but I want to see in this game, and I think they'll go for this. Have him really get settled. Have him really get into a groove after, like, the running game just tramples Purdue. And I think he's going to have 
have a really impressive game. I'm going with something like 35-13 Penn State, maybe 38-13. And they let Tyler Davis uh, knock in a field goal. But something like that just sounds right. Uh, something where they get to keep Purdue at arm's length from basically the first or second offensive drive. And that's fun. Like, after a close game last week, uh, even if it was an upset, like, just going out and blowing out a team and showing that Penn State's not going to have that bit of a hangover is something that I'm really looking forward to. Um, What do you guys want to do next? Do you want to talk about Big Ten games or play the Penn Live game? Let's do Big Ten first. And I'll I'll say it's also also fun that um, now Penn State – going for big blowout wins is actually like something they need to do because they're ranked now. <laughs> yeah, I mean now they get they gotta try to climb higher. Yeah, we're we're at the point of Penn State football under James Franklin where quote unquote statement wins are a thing where they can have to show that they can go out and just whoop up on lesser teams to validate Leave no doubt. Exactly. Just validate a lot of the praise that the team gets, which is like, I'm cool with that. I really like that. Um, something I don't really like is this week's early Big Ten schedule. Uh, there are really two, There's one game that is going to be uh, on the entire schedule. It should be a competitive game, a solid game. And then there is another game that is going to be fun because Ohio State is... Well, two games are going to be fun because Ohio State and Michigan are going to try and destroy Northwestern and Michigan State. But... I say three. Okay, we'll we'll get to that in a second, but yeah, let's uh let's start with Minnesota at Illinois. Dan, are you capable of having anything resembling a strong opinion on this game? Nope. Cool, Nick. You still one thousand three hundred ninety-seven tickets available from nine dollars uh, yeah. or more. Yeah. Uh, speaking of games where you can that where you can get a ticket for relatively inexpensive. How about Michigan at Sparty? Um, Sparty is not good. Michigan is good. This game is in East Lansing. Nick, do the Spartans have any prayer in this game? Yes, because it's a rivalry game. And weird things happen in rivalry games. I don't think that Michigan State's going to win, but I know that I will be rooting as hard as I can for Michigan State because... Michigan losing behooves Penn State greatly right now. So, I don't know. Oh, it would be so nice for Jim Hallroll to have a team that he can't beat. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) how nice would be. Well, Ohio Ohio State can still be that team, but it would be a little bit more fun if it's World Bowl. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I mean that the team that Jim Harbaugh just can't figure out. And it would be really fun if that was a down Michigan State team that the win probability for Michigan in this game is 98% and the projected score is 41.5 to 6. Jesus. Yeah, Michigan State, I I haven't seen them play. Honestly, it's, it's baffling to me that they're this bad. It's, I, I, um... it's this devastating mix of they're really not good at anything on offense um, and their defense, which is, I mean, for years, that's kind of been the thing that even when they don't have a really good offense, they're able to rely on their defense and win some games like 21 to 17 or like 17 to 7. That just doesn't happen anymore. Like, Northwestern hung 54 on them. BYU hung 31 on them. Wisconsin hung 30 on them. 
uh, the two and five Notre Dame fighting Irish hung 28 on them. Like just nothing good is really happening for Michigan State right now. And what better thing to have when you're when nothing's good is going for you than a team coach by noted crazy person Jim Harbaugh? I along the lines of of hoping that Michigan State's the t- Michigan State's the team that Michigan can never figure out. I as the season goes on, I start to become more and more convinced that maybe Harbaugh. I mean, he's a crazy person, um, so that it could just be that. But maybe he's just trying to blow all these teams out of the water because he knows that this Michigan team, he's got 42 seniors. Maybe it'd be in his best interest, best interest to just play out the season, hopefully make the playoff, and then jump back to the NFL. So maybe he's trying to leave a statement before he goes. And if he could, if he could leave while never beating Mark D'Antonio, <laughs> that would be amazing. I mean, uh, I am fully on, like, this is my one Alex Jones conspiracy theory that Jim Harbaugh is gone after this season. Like, it just makes all the sense in the world from the, his stock will never be higher, he's never won a Super Bowl. He, I, I Opens mean, things up for less miles. Yeah. Uh, it, I'm looking them up right now. Yeah, the Indianapolis Colts ain't exactly good, and it's not like Chuck Pagano had a bunch of job security coming into this season. So, you know, maybe, maybe they decide that they want to do what Michigan did when they hired Harbaugh and hire a guy who had some success for them and a guy who can win some football games, and it gives Harbaugh the chance to reunite with Andrew Luck. So that's happening. Um, we already talked about Penn State-Purdue. Let's go to Maryland at Indiana. Uh, Dan. This is my other game. Ooh, so never mind, Dan. We'll come to you in a minute. Nick, what do you got to say? I think this game is super interesting because Maryland, we're still kind of figuring out what they can do against actual good teams. In Indiana, we thought was getting better, but now, I mean, we saw the, the close, closer than it looked lost to Ohio State. Um, we saw the close loss to who did they just lose to? They lost uh, to Nebraska by five. Nebraska, by 10. yeah, and I mean Northwestern's playing great. So, and their big win was against Michigan State, who was ranked number seventeen at the time. So maybe Indiana isn't actually that good. So I'm I'm curious just to see because I'm excited to see find out which of these teams is actually better than the other one because I'm not really sure at this moment. Dan, what do you uh, what do you think? Uh, I personally think that Indiana is going to take care of them pretty easily. I think Indiana's you know, stung by a couple of uh, you know these losses that you're talking about now. I and I think that they're just a better team than Maryland, and uh, you know I, I think that this it's, it'll be probably a two score win for Indiana at home. So I'm not I'm not sweating it out too much. All right, yeah, uh, I kind of want Indiana to win this one and look kind of sloppy doing it because. I want Penn State when on November twelfth when they go in to Bloomington. I want Penn State. I don't want to feel uncomfortable in that game, but I also want Penn State to get a win over a team that uh, that that doesn't look terrible. And considering how its final two games are against Rutgers and Michigan State, kind of got to lean on Indiana for that. Uh, so yeah, that's that's one game. Next up, Northwestern. Shout out Crimson Quarry. Shout hey, out Rob Bolden. I already, I already gave them their shout out. They get one. Oh, you did? They get one, yeah. I, I'm good with it. When did you do that? Okay, whatever. Shout out Rob Bolden twice. Now he did it. He did it early. I heard him. Yeah. Listen to the podcast, Nick. 
Uh, so yeah, next up we get a game that I think is going to be kind of hilarious. Um, Northwestern has uh, the last couple of weeks played really well. I mean, early in the season, they look kind of god awful. They lost by one to Western Michigan. They lost nine to seven at home to Illinois State. Uh, the last couple of weeks at Iowa, they won by seven at Michigan State. They won by 14. Indiana, they won by 10. But they got to go to Columbus and play an Ohio State team that's probably kind of mad. So, uh, uh, Dan, do you think that Ohio State just like completely unloads on a not terrible Northwestern team? Or do you think that Northwestern is able to, you know, Ohio State is still kind of shell-shocked from how the last game ended and the Wildcats are able to make them a little nervous. I mean, they're young, so it's not out of the question, but I have a feeling just the combination of you know, Northwestern having a nice win and Ohio State, you know, out for blood after uh, being, you know, upset by Penn State and the fact that it's an Urban Meyer coach team, I have a feeling they're going to be very ready for this game and it'll be a statement like, you know, we're still going to be geared up and, you know, Michigan's going to have a tough test against us. So I, I don't think – I'm not worried about Ohio State in that game either. But like I said, they're a young team, so it's not crazy. But, uh, yeah. you know, we'll see. Plus, like, uh, Ohio State is kind of at a point where it needs – if it has any hope of making the playoff – it has to just mow through teams and Northwestern, Nebraska, Maryland, Michigan State, Michigan. Uh, one of those teams, Michigan State's just pretty bad. Northwestern and Maryland are all right, but not great. Nebraska's maybe the best team out in the Big Ten West, and then Michigan is Michigan. So this team's going to try and win every game for the rest of the season, like 49 to nothing, 56 to nothing. And I'm interested in this one. I'm interested to see what they try and do uh, against a solid Wildcat team. Nick, what do you think? Uh, I think Ohio State's going to run all over him because I think they're going to overcompensate for only giving Curtis Samuel 10 touches last game. And I think they're going to give him like 25, and he's just going to run all over him. I like Northwestern. I like Clayton Thorson. I like Justin Jackson. But I like Curtis Samuel more. And then the final Big Ten game of the the weekend, uh, number seven, Nebraska. Going to Camp Randall against number 11, Wisconsin. The winner, uh, well, not I mean, not the winner because if Wisconsin wins this game, they still have two conference losses because their schedule has been just completely ridiculous. Uh, but the winner of this game kind of gets to uh, carry the flag and say, listen, we're the best team in the Big Ten West. Uh, even if Nebraska... <laughs> Yay. Yeah. Uh, Nebraska 7-0, 4-0 in the season. This is pretty clearly going to be their biggest test of the year. And then Wisconsin, uh, it hosted Ohio State at home a few weeks ago in a night game and ended up losing a heartbreaker in overtime. So they're probably going to want to be able to go back and defend their turf. Uh, Nick, what do you think about this one? Um, I think Wisconsin wins this game. Because um, <laughs> because I think they're the better team. I mean, Northwestern's or Nebraska's fine. Um, they've played well, but I think Wisconsin. They have those two losses, but they were two close losses. They're battle tested at this point. Like that defense is legit. That defense is for real. And losing Jack Cecchi sucks, but they still have Vince Beagle. They still have T.J. Watt. They still have some good players on that defense that can get the job done for him. So 
I mean, I think this game will end up being like, ah, like a 21-16 kind of game. Yeah. But I think Wisconsin's a better team. Yeah, Dan, Bill Conley has this one. Uh, the projected score is uh, Nebraska. Oh, wait, no, 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 Wisconsin. Yeah, Wisconsin winning uh, about 28-20. Uh, do you see something kind of like that? Uh, yeah, I think it's got to be Wisconsin. You know, I, Nebraska's having a nice season. I, I, you know, I, I sort of thought that this was sort of the season that they were going to have. But, you know, Wisconsin has been better than I thought they would be as well. And I think that, uh, you know, sort of gone with what Nick's going to say. Wisconsin's just a better team, and that, that's going to win out at the end of the day, I think. You know, but it, it's it's competitive enough. You know, I think it'll be you know, the most interesting game on the schedule for sure. And, you know, something that, you know, at least – uh, some interest to watch, but yeah, you know, I, I think it'll be Wisconsin. I'll pick Nebraska, uh, just because, well, I, I like Nebraska. Uh, yeah. So that's it for this week's Big 10 slate. Uh, we got a pen live game to play and Nick, please explain why we're playing it Okay. Um, why we're playing it, uh, do, do I know why we're playing it on yes, this exact be- episode? Before the podcast, Dan was bragging. About oh yeah, how, oh yeah. About Dan, how good Dan he bragged is when he's that. Listening. Yes. Yeah, Dan was bragging that uh, how good he is at this game when he's just listening. And so far, we've done this with. Ty, yeah, no. It's Peter, admittedly, and... I, I've never had the pressure on when I've done it. So you know, but yeah. I have. I've been better than the people that have been on in a lot of these cases. It's a whole. Well, I'm sure you weren't better than Ty. He only got one wrong, but. Uh, it's a whole different beast when you're in here in the octagon uh, on your in the hot seat. Oh, yeah, in the hot. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, real quick background: this game is the Real Pen Live comment or not game, based on the wonderful Twitter account Real Pen Live. Com- I think it's just Real Pen Live. I feel like I should know this. By it's now. at Real Pen um, Live. Yes, at Real Pen Live, where they post uh, Real Pen Live comments straight from the website with no context at all. They're amazing. Those people are insane. And we like to uh, put some of those real comments up in comparison with some that I make up myself and see how many they can guess correctly. So we have six comments here tonight for Dan, and we're going to see how he does. And this is going to be a lot more fun when we eventually get our soundboard going, which I am looking into. So I'm that. admittedly, now that you guys have called me out for bragging, I'm a little nervous combined with the fact that we're coming off of a win, a big win. So I'm not sure what the tone of these is going to be like. Yeah, it's, I, it's a different I dynamic. All right, comment one. I'm tired of this stupid fish hook thing the kids are doing. Grow up. Joe would never have stood for that. I don't think that's real. Oh, well done. We Starting go. off strong. That is not a real comment. All right, well, one for one. Number two. Sure, we won, but the offense looked like garbage. I thought this Moorhead fellow was some sort of genius. <laughs> Can you pronounce his name again? How it was in the comment? Moorhead. <laughs> uh. <laughs> um... I'm going to say that that one's also not real. Oh, man, you're correct. Damn. That is not real. Okay. All right, two for Dan, two. Also, I... feel free to like walk us through your logic as you're All right, trying to so decide yeah. real or fake. Just, for the just first, yeah, for the first spice. one, I thought for the first one, I thought the fish hook was trying a little hard for the for the free code actually your grill. Yeah. 
what, you know, free Kodak. I think that free Kodak. That's, that's the policy, I believe, of Roarlines. Where I'm not going to speak for everybody, but I do think that's our editorial uh, stance that, that is on, the, official on, on the issue. Okay, um, and with the second one, um, <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't think. Uh, I don't think it was the time that anybody would would be playing the genius card with Moorhead. I think, but uh, yeah, no, I, I did like them. I thought Moorhead was a nice touch. You almost had me there. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. My mind is just a bowl of pudding at this point from this game. All right, next one. Oh, whiteout? That sounds racist. <laughs> I don't know how good these guys are at irony, though. That's the that's the question I have on Here, this one. Okay, if this one helps or hurts, I'm not sure. If you remember correctly, uh, the fine folks over at On the Banks, the Rutgers SB Nation site, before last season, so before the 2015 season, I only remember this because Noel fired Joe Morgan did for uh, Onward State. One of them mentioned something about whiteouts being racist, and considering <laughs> how they are with irony, I think we can assume that a pen live commenter would also be good at irony. Early but Bill, spe- this is spe- not your. This, you are not. I, yeah, I. I yeah, no. I, I think that they're better at irony when they when they can when they can battle for uh, for um, for for white people. So I'm going to say that is that is a real comment. You are correct. Yeah. Three that's for three. Yeah. What they they suddenly get very very articulate about things when they feel like people are being racist <laughs> against white people. <laughs> The, ir- the irony, oh, everything starts clicking a little bit when suddenly I'm the oppressed one. So actually, now that you say that, I'm gonna share one comment that I. Uh, no, I won't. I won't. I won't. No, no, <laughs> I, come on. I, I, we'll, we'll do this. No, all here, all no. I, I, there were very good reasons I chose not to include it. We'll talk about it after we stop recording. All right, number four, and I we usually give eight questions. I think so. Dan has a real good shot here to move ahead on percentage points. All right, comment number four. Now imagine how easy this win would have come with a competent coach like Les Miles. Oh, God. No way. No way that's real. You are correct. That is not real. <laughs> yeah, no. I just Again, it's one of those. I think I have an advantage because it's after uh, and after a win because I just can't see people choosing this time to play the Les Miles card. Similarly with the Moorhead being a genius thing. The, actually, the uh, there was one comment about Les Miles that was posted, but it was something. It was someone actually asking uh, Bob. <laughs> uh, I forget who they're asking specifically, but they said, "So, how are we looking about this Les Miles to Purdue to Purdue rumor?" Which I thought was funny. All right, so number five. So, can someone explain to me why Penn State isn't a top five team after that win? Hmm. That one's not bad. Yeah, no, I uh, no that that's. A- Good. One. I'm. Uh. I will say that's not real. It is not real. You are correct. Wow. All right. All right. Yeah, I could see if you would. Uh, you know what? If you had said, if you had said top fifteen, I'd have said it was real. But five, I, w- I would have gone. I-, I think that was a little ambitious because people people have not forgotten they lost to a a, a very middling pit. Well, I'm sure there are some people who fully believe the whole like if you defeat the second best team in America, you should be get the belt. Yeah, like you get the belt kind of thing. So, like that person definitely exists somewhere in Penalive's comment section. But 
our friend who uh, puts all of these together just has not put that on the Twitter account. All right, last one to see if Dan can go a perfect six for six. Nice to see the refs call a fair game for once. Ooh. Hmm. I think that's real. Oh, he just missed going perfect. That is oh. Yeah, that one. Uh, yeah, so that was the, that were... was the toughest one because that was I was like I could absolutely see somebody <laughs> being like, oh yeah, <laughs> all it took was the refs finally calling a fair game for us to to show that we're better. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. I don't know if you noticed, but that that was um. So that was five fake comments, only one real one. Then there were not many comments posted on the Twitter account this weekend, and it was it was probably because they most of them were positive. So yeah, that, yeah, yeah. So you, you may have had an advantage there, but I'm okay with it. Yeah, plus the the crazy person behind the account, he uh, I'll share a story just very quickly. At about 11 a.m. on uh, Saturday, he realized he was able to acquire tickets to the game, so he got in the car and drove up. So uh, he wasn't coming to the game and until basically Saturday around midday, and he's probably somewhere on the verge of exhaustion right now as he's just working his way back from how great the weekend was, so he just hasn't perused the Penlive comments as much as he probably wants to. Oh, I yeah. thought you were I thought you were saying he was from exhaustion from perusing the Pen Live comments and not being able to find any content for his Twitter feed. I mean that's plausible, I do suppose, but but yeah, uh yeah, good job, Dan. Right, that let's, was uh let's you get out, I was gonna say Dan Dan, you lived up to the uh to the title, so congratulations on I'm, that. I'm I'm pissed off that I I blew that last call though. That, yeah, that we'll have, have We'll have him back after a loss. Yeah, listen, man, that's what yeah, I think. I think Todd, we're gonna have we're gonna have uh, one of these ones where Ty and I are both on, and we both have to be locked in soundproof rooms while the other does the <laughs> does the question, so that we can uh, finally get the answer once and for all. Do like the win Ben Stein's money thing with it. I like that. Uh, it'll be, yeah, it'll be like uh, the uh, the the uh, <laughs> that uh, Neil Hamburger game show where they locked a. Uh, um, all right, we're going to cut this part out of the podcast because I, I, blanked, nope. <laughs> I blanked on the name of the game show and of oh Corbin Benson. He locked Corbin Benson in a, in a soundproof room for no apparent reason. He just sat in there for the entirety of the show, like throwing his hands up. Sure, sure. I don't know what you're talking about, but yeah, that, uh, that works, and we're going to leave that in uh, because we've gone way too long in this episode of the podcast. We want to thank you all for listening. Yeah. Um, of course, the usual spiel. Uh, like on all the social media pages, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, f- subscribe on SoundCloud. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, whatever. Leave us a review on iTunes. That really helps. Uh, and more so than ever, make sure you buy a shirt. We have the usual suspects, of course. Uh, but after the game, we decided to sell a new shirt, which features Urban Meyer's quote from the Tuesday before the Penn State and Ohio State game where he said, I wish they saved the whiteouts for other games. It has the score of the game. It has the date of the game, and it has the logo for Roar Lions Roar on there because, you know, we got we to gotta brand as much as possible. Uh, but, yeah, Dan, thanks for uh, coming on to this episode of the pod. Sure. Yeah, always a pleasure, and thank you for uh, regaling us with tales of West Lafayette, Indiana. That's uh, Yeah, I hope we cut that part out too because that story didn't land. <laughs> not again like we're not uh we're not wasting this tape we're we're using it all uh wait he used tape 
No, of course we don't use tape. We actually, we actually have a scribe. <laughs> yeah, that's what we have Matt do. We put him to work and just have him transcribe our podcasts. Uh, but yeah, so again, that's how that's how Joe would have done it. He would have used tape. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, uh, again, thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Uh, for my co-hosts Dan Smith, for Nick Pollock, I am Bill DeFilippo. We'll catch you all next time. Be good, everyone.